Thank you, Father. Well, you're ready for the word this morning. We're going to continue in our series, really talking about the authority of the believer, but just kind of coming at it from another approach of what we're redeemed from. And we have said, and I want to repeat this so that we get it, there are certain things historically and biblically that the people of God have always suffered. <clears throat> and that is what we call suffering for righteousness sake. When we suffer because in a land of darkness we choose to abide in the light and the darkness can't stand the light, so they try to snuff out the light. And that's persecution, that's prosecution, that's martyrdom. Those are things the people of God have always suffered. And, and if you haven't realized it yet, I am not a doom, gloom preacher. But I'm telling you, America is not heading in a good way. And there's a real battle in our culture between light and darkness. This is not, and don't be fooled to think this is between Republicans and Democrats. This is good versus evil. This is light versus darkness. And there have been many lands where they thought they were insulated from Christian persecution only to find out with a simple change of who's in power, Christians can be put to death. So there's, there is a battle and a very real danger that because you're a Christian, you may face persecution and prosecution. Now, that's what we suffer, and we suffer it gladly because we're not going to surrender our identity in Christ for conformity to an ungodly culture. And in those things, it's inescapable. If you're going to be in the light, Jesus said that they hated him first, they're going to hate you too. But then there's suffering that we suffer because we don't know what we've been redeemed from. And religious people have taught us that poverty and sickness and all the things that go with it are part of the cross we got to bear. And so we suffer under these things thinking that somehow our poverty is a badge of holiness and our devotion is proven by the things we're willing to suffer. And I got to say to you, if you've been redeemed from it, don't suffer it gladly. Resist it with everything that's in you. Resist it with the word. Resist it with worship. Resist it with prayer. But don't submit to it because you're ignorant of what God has redeemed you from. Is this okay this morning? So I want us to know what we've been redeemed from. And last week we covered being redeemed from poverty. And I got to say to you again that poverty is a mindset, not an economic strata. You can have lots of money and still be impoverished in your mind. And you can be broken, not be in poverty. But I will say this, that if you have allowed the gospel to penetrate your mind, even if you don't have two dimes together, if you're convinced that you're blessed, the blessings of the Lord maketh rich, and you will not be poor too much longer. Because as a man thinketh, so is he. So today I want to talk to you about another aspect of what we're redeemed from. And I want to say this as pulling it from last week, that faith is a conviction, not a question. It's a conviction. Faith declares. It doesn't question what the will of God is. It declares what the will of God is. So you've got to know his word because his will is expressed in his word. And if the enemy can ask you a question that you can't answer biblically, he's got you. Why? Because through ignorance, he gains an advantage. But we don't want to be those who are ignorant. We want to be able to say, even I told you this last week, it, I'm not telling you you got to be able to quote the entirety of the scripture. I can't do that, and I've only met one preacher who came really close, and it wasn't me. 
You don't have to be able to quote the entirety of Scripture, but that which you know, you better believe that you know. And say, you don't have to say, has God said? You've got to be able to say, God has said. So let's go ahead and get started. Because as the old song says, i got a long ways to go and a short time to get there. Galatians chapter 3, verse 13. Reading it to you out of the Passion Translation says this. Christ paid the full price to set us free from the curse of the law. He absorbed it completely as he became a curse in our place. For it is written, everyone who is hung upon a tree is doubly cursed. Now let's go to verse 14. Jesus, our Messiah, was cursed in our place and in so doing dissolved the curse from our lives so that all the blessings of Abraham can be poured out upon even non-Jewish believers. And now God gives us the promise of the wonderful Holy Spirit who lives within us when we believe in Him. And then verse 29, still Galatians chapter 3. And since you've been united to Jesus the Messiah, you are now Abraham's child and inherit some of the promises of the kingdom. Say what? Are you sure about that? It's what it says. Amen. And if it's written, our uncertainty is unnecessary. And I love how Paul worded it in the Passion, that it, the, the curse has been dissolved, completely erased, eradicated. There's no remnants left. There's not even a speck of cursed dust in your life. There's nothing for the devil to maneuver through and get to you unless he can confuse you and deceive you into believing you're only partially redeemed. No, you're completely redeemed. The curse has been totally eradicated, dissolved, erased. And in its place are all the promises of God. Yes and amen. amen. Thank you, Lord. So we want to continue. What are you redeemed from? Well, today we're going to be focused on being redeemed from sickness. What is sickness? Sickness is the state of being ill, not in full health. Now, listen, I got to say this because anytime people always are so quick to think, well, you're just making me feel condemned because I've got an illness I'm an illness I'm battling with right now. That's like someone poor getting upset that you're preaching. You don't got to be poor no more. There's no condemnation involved. There's revelation that when revelation truth comes, it sets you free from your present state. And for that, we ought not to get offended and fight for our right to be sick. Well, I'll say, you know what? I'm really glad to have heard. I don't have to be sick no more. Thank you for sharing that with me. So we're redeemed from sickness, the state of being ill, not in full health. Is sickness a blessing or a curse? Yeah, God's word declares it's a curse. Now, listen, some, I took this from Brother Hagin. Some people would have you believe God blesses his children with sickness and disease. And Brother Hagin wrote this, If he does, I'd prefer to let someone else have that blessing. <laughs> but according to God's word, sickness is a curse and health is a blessing. Now, I want to say this to you. Listen, a curse is always a curse. In every age, for every gender, every race, in every century. A curse is never a blessing. 
It takes someone religiously confused to believe that something can be a curse in some applications and a blessing in others. No, no. If it's a curse, it's a curse. We used to say something along these lines. If it walks like a duck, (laughs) quacks like a duck, it's a duck. A curse is a curse. And a blessing is a blessing. A blessing is never a curse. And a curse ain't never a blessing. Disease, listen, disease is broken ease. Sickness is pain and suffering. Sickness makes slaves of the afflicted and their friends and family. It, Brother Hagin said this, it's a thief and a robber. You know, I read this one time, and I don't know if it's absolutely true, but I believe that it is. They, that I read in articles that said the number one cause of bankruptcy in America is medical bills. Stay with me. I'm going somewhere with this. That just like the woman with the issue of blood. She had the issue of blood, then she spent all that she had. If you spend everything you have, what does that make you? Broke! So first she was sick, and the sickness caused her to go broke. She spent all that she had, and she didn't get better. She actually got worse. So if the number one cause for bankruptcy is illness... What people pay. Have you ever had to go to the emergency room? Shut up. Are you kidding me? When we had to go because of that thing that got into my nerves, I, I, and this was years ago now, and I was only in there for a few hours, one thing cost $35,000. You know, and I'd always heard about these Tylenol pills that were 100. It's true. I had an itemized report, and I went down it. And those two Tylenol, which didn't help, 200 bucks. Listen, we've got to walk in the blessings of God because the alternative ain't good. Is it, are you staying with me? So sickness is not a friend because first it robs you of your health. It has robbed young mothers of the opportunity to be a good mother to their children. It's robbed young men from being a good father. It's caused good people to spend the last 30 years of their life in pain. Under no circumstances, in no application. And don't tell me it's a tool of God. Because we're going to get there in a few moments, and I'm going to show you it's an absolute fallacy to believe that God sends sickness and creates evil. Sickness is a thief, and you ought to resist it as you would any other thief. Is sickness the will of God? Sickness and disease are not the will of God, for God blesses His people. He does not want a curse to be upon His children. He wants to bless them with health. Go with me to the book of Hebrews, chapter 8, verse 6. Because I've heard this argument. I've I've heard people say, well, God healed under the old covenant because that was natural. This is the new covenant, and we're spiritual. So you're telling me under the old covenant, God wanted his servants, and the best of them were just servants. God wanted his servants to be healthy. 
But under the new covenant, which Hebrew says is a better covenant, God wants his own children to be sick? Then he would be a God that changes. And the Bible says very clearly he changes not. In him there is no variableness, no shadow of turning. So he couldn't have been one way. He couldn't have been good under the old covenant and bad under the new covenant. He couldn't have been uh, a healer under the old covenant and an inflictor of illness under the new covenant. Is this okay this morning? Is this helping you at all? Hebrews chapter 8, verse 6 out of the New American Standard says, But now he has obtained a more excellent ministry to the extent that he is also the mediator of a better covenant which has been enacted on better promises. Now let me read it to you out of the Passion Translation. But now Jesus the Messiah has accepted a priestly ministry, which far surpasses theirs, since he is the catalyst of a better covenant, which contains far more wonderful promises. I want to say it's not the will of God that we be sick, in Bible days, it was not God's will for the children of Israel to be sick. And as I said, they were merely servants. If we read the scriptures, we'll discover that when sickness came upon him, it was always as a result of unbelief, disobedience, and rebellion. Come on. Listen, just because I'm preaching a truth doesn't mean you won't ever be battled in that arena. But we have to understand that we are literally in a battle. This is a fight of faith. And all any preacher can do for you is give you ammo for your weapon. But you're the one that has to pull the trigger called your tongue and release words of faith. For the Bible says, let the redeemed of the Lord... Let him say, it doesn't mean you're not going to have battles. In fact, probably when you begin to confess the righteousness and the goodness and the promises of God, you're going to be confronted like no other time. But in between the pills, declare, I am the healed of the Lord. As you're popping the medication, I am the healed of the Lord. I'm redeemed from sin, from sickness, and from This is a fight of faith. And we have to fight it by using our faith. Mm. Listen, it was not his will for even his servants to be sick. It could not be his will for his children to be sick. Sickness and disease are not of love and God is love. In Luke chapter 13, and I love this, Jesus was teaching in one of the synagogues on the Sabbath, and you remember this, a woman came in who was bent over. She could have had arthritis or something of that nature because her body was bent in a stationary position. I remember one time I was preaching in Siberia, Russia, and a girl had to be helped up into the prayer line, and we were just preaching in an apartment, so it wasn't. They had to help her in because the side of her head was a, touching her hip. She was bent this way, and she couldn't sit up. She couldn't. The next day, she was slated to go have her spine cut, however they were going to do it. It was Siberia, so I, and a steel rod put in its place. 
so she'd forever be totally straight. Prayer was offered to her, very simple prayer. And I watched this woman come up. This is what, he's the God, the same yesterday, today, and forever. And if he does something like that in Siberia, Russia, will he not do it in South Carolina? Jesus called her, and this is what he said. Woman, in verse 12, Luke 13, you are freed from your sickness. You are freed from your sickness. And then when the ruler of the synagogue got real upset, not that she was healed, but that he healed her on the Sabbath. This is what Jesus said, look at, in verse 13 of, verse 16, chapter 13. This dear woman, a daughter of Abraham, has been held in bondage by Satan. The scripture never gives God credit for the disease. Held in bondage by Satan for 18 years, isn't it right that she be released even on the Sabbath. If it was right then, it's right now. It's only right that you being a daughter of God, a son of God, be delivered and freed from any sickness. But we got to know we're redeemed. we got to have that conviction, not a question. I wonder if God will heal me. I wonder if it's God's will for me to be free. No, it is God's will. It's His expressed will it's his stated will it's his written will jesus said it was satan who bound this woman in preaching to cornelius's household peter said this acts chapter 10 verse 38 you know of jesus of nazareth how god anointed him with the holy spirit and with power and he how he went about doing he went about doing do you ever find a verse where Jesus went about doing bad? Can you find anywhere in the scriptures Jesus made someone sick? Well, come on, let's follow this. He said, it, I only do the will of him who sent me. Did he not? He said, if you hear me say it, it's because I heard him say it. If you see me do it, it's only because I saw him do it. So if it was the will of God for anyone to be sick, Jesus would have at least made one person sick. I'm going to preach to the black wall. At least once he would have done it. I agree with you, preacher. Thank you. Thank you. At least one time you would have seen him do it. Jesus never made not one person sick, not Roman, not Jew. He healed all. The only time he couldn't was there he could do no mighty miracle. Why? Because they wouldn't believe. For you know Jesus of Nazareth, how God anointed him with the Holy Spirit and with power, and how he went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by God. Say what? Let's not get him confused. Jesus didn't confuse the matter. He said they're oppressed by the devil. He came to destroy the works of the devil. For God was with him. And John chapter 8 verse 29. And he who sent me is with me. And he's not left me alone. 
for I always do the things that are pleasing to him. Again, did he ever make anyone sick? What did he do? He healed. So if he always did that, which pleased his father, hear me when I say this, healing pleases the father. It always pleases the father. It pleases the father to see mankind set free. Did Jesus ever give anyone a cold? COVID? The flu? No. He went about doing good and healing all because he was always involved in doing that which pleases his father. So don't let anyone tell you that sickness is the will of God for us. It isn't. Healing and health are the will of God for mankind. If sickness were the will of God, heaven would be filled with sickness and disease. I'm trying to hurry through this. If it seems like I'm hurrying, it's because I am. So why the confusion? Because people don't understand the difference between what God permits and what God causes. Go with me to Deuteronomy chapter 28. We're going to read verses 59 through 61. Deuteronomy 28 verse 59. Then the Lord will bring extraordinary plagues on you and your descendants. Even severe and lasting plagues and miserable and chronic sicknesses. Verse 60. He will bring back on you all the diseases of Egypt which you were af- of which you are afraid and they will cling to you. Also, every sickness and every plague, which not written in the book of the law, the Lord will bring on you until you are destroyed. Now, when you read that in the English, it certainly sounds like God's out to get you. But this is why the Bible says we got to study to show ourselves approved. Because if it seems out of character for God, because see, God can't be both. If, If God's ever good, I mean ever good, then he's got to be forever good. And if he ain't forever good, then he ain't ever good. Because he's not like you. He's not like me. You and I can have a bad day and do something out of character. I mean, like lose our temper and go off and say, oh, man, you know, that I didn't mean that really. God don't do that. He never does anything out of character. So if it seems out of character, dig a little deeper. And I remember Brother Hagin, when we were learning this in Bible school, he told us about a little book. And whenever I hear about a book from someone I respect, I buy the book. There's a little book called Hints and Helps to Bible Interpretation. If you ain't got it, get it. But you ain't getting mine. <laughs> Dr. Robert Young. And in it, he talks about the differences between causative and permissive verbs in the Hebrew language. Why is this important? Because the English interpreters had a great deal of struggle understanding the difference. I've never met a Jew, and I've met quite a few. I've never met a Jew who ever believed God made people sick. I never met a Jew who believed poverty was of God. Why? Because they understand the difference in the Hebrew language between what God permits and what God causes. And you and I understand it. We just get confused when somebody who's supposed to know how to interpret the Scripture interprets it as God causing it. If you are a parent and you've ever seen your child running headlong toward a swimming pool and you knew those chubby little legs and the momentum they had, the child was not going to be able to stop. But when they hit the pool, you knew you could see it coming because you're the all-knowing, all-wise father. 
You knew that when they hit that little wading pool, they were gonna, their feet were going to go up, the head was going to go down, and they were going to go into the pool. Did you cause it? You knew it was coming. There's a difference between being able to foretell and God saying, if you do this, this is going to happen, and God being the one who caused it. Are you following me? The reason we've got to know that is because if you don't know in Deuteronomy when it says the Lord will smite you. How many of you ever heard sermons? I mean, that's the whole sermon. I remember one time I went to a, a, a primitive Baptist church. I was glad I was already saved. Because if I would have heard what God was going to do to me, I would have left and gone, you know what? I don't want that God. Because the whole thing was God going to smite you. Oh, man, I don't want to, I don't, listen, I, I don't want to be smitten by God, because when God smites you, baby, you've been smitten. Let's go over some other things. I'm chasing too many rabbits. Look at, listen to this verse out of Isaiah 45, verse 7. Isaiah 45, verse 7 says this, and once again, it's the difference between permissive and causative verbs. Isaiah 50, 45, verse 7, I form the light. And I create darkness. I make peace and create evil. I, the Lord, do all these things. When you study it, and Dr. Young brings it out, it, 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 it's, it's the difference between causative and permissive. God did not cause Adam and Eve to do what they did. Boy, y'all are quiet. It's real easy to blame, God, to blame God for everything and say, well, you know what? If God wanted me healed, I'd be healed. If God wanted me rich, I'd be rich. It's real easy to put all the responsibility on someone else. When the truth of the matter is, he sends his word to heal. He sends his word to deliver. He sends his word to save. But what he requires... And indeed, what he expects is that we will believe his word when it comes and change our behavior because that's what repentance means. Change our mind. So when I hear that God didn't cause it, that gives my faith an opportunity to latch on to. I can be delivered from it. Because if God caused it, then I got no hope. I'm trying to hurry. Amos chapter 3, verse 6. If a trumpet is blown in a city, will the people not tremble? If a disaster occurs in a city, has not the Lord brought it about? You see in this? Can you see where if you don't dig deeper, this causes confusion? Because then God sent the hurricane. God sent the earthquake. God kills a lot of good people. If God commits evil, listen to this. If God commits evil, then he has no right whatsoever to judge man for sinning. If God creates evil, then he has no right to judge us for being evil. Because he did it. Just ain't so. But God does not do evil. He only permits evil. There's a vast difference between commission and permission. When King Saul backslid in Samuel chapter 16, 1 Samuel 16, verse 14, the, the scripture says the spirit of the Lord departed from Saul and an evil spirit from the Lord troubled him. Did God send an evil spirit? Does God have an evil spirit? No, he's got a Holy Spirit. But not an evil spirit. 
What actually happened was Saul broke fellowship and opened up the door. Hmm, I need to hurry up. Go with me to Isaiah chapter 53. Isaiah chapter 53, verse 4. And remember, while before we read this, Jesus in his earth walk was the living model of the will of God. The living, if you want to know what the will of God is, all you've got to do is look at what Jesus did. And once again, you'll never find Jesus made one person sick. He healed all who would believe. Jew, Gentile, Samaritan, Roman, he healed them all. Hmm. Isaiah chapter 53, verse 4 and 5. However, it was our sicknesses that he himself bore and our pains that he carried. Yet we ourselves assumed that he had been afflicted, struck down by God and humiliated. Verse 5. But he was pierced for our offenses. He was crushed for our wrongdoings. The punishment for our well-being was laid upon him. And by his wounds, we are healed. Healing. It used to be said that healing was the dinner bell of the church. That God healing is an expression of his love. Talay Muhammad told me one time, he said, I've been all around the world. I have ministered to the Buddhists, to the Muslims, and to the Hindus. And not one time in their writings or in their experience do their gods heal. Only the Christian God heals. All of the pagan gods afflict. Our God heals. Our God is not the defiler. Our God is the healer. And it has never been his will that we be impoverished and sick and and, 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 in a state of just waiting to die. In closing, like I said, this healing is such an expansive subject. There's different ways healing comes. There's all I'm trying to do is let you just say, hey, you don't have to be sick anymore. I'm just giving you, look, you read. If sickness is such a blessing, why do we take cough medicine? You following me? I mean, if ever sickness was of God, then why do you do anything to be well? Because if it's the will of God, then that cough drop you're sucking on it's against the will of God. Spit it out. What are we doing when we're taking supplements or medication? Whether it's cough syrup or chemotherapy. We're trying to resist sickness. So what I'm saying to you is this. Add the word of God to your regimen. You take vitamin A. You take vitamin B. You take all these other things. Take the word of God. Add the word of God to your regiment and declare his word. I'm the redeemed of the Lord. I don't have to be sick no more. Pop that vitamin and say, I'm the healed of the Lord. When you cough, say, I'm the healed of the Lord. Let it come out of your mouth. And when you feel it trying to come in, say, no, 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 no. I'm the redeemed. Can I close with just two stories? Because these are two heroes of healing who had vastly different approaches 
Because, see, it really doesn't matter whether you get healed through the laying out of hands or you get healed in your home. As long as you're walking in health. There was a man, if, you, if you've never read his life story, you could learn so much because his, his beginning was great and his ending was tragic. But his miracles were undeniable. His name was John Dowie. You ever heard of John Dowie? John Dowie was a pastor of a congregational church in Sydney, Australia, when the bubonic plague struck. This was about the year I wrote it, 1875. 1875, he pastored a church in Sydney. The bubonic plague came, and it is said that John Dowie, as a pastor, had to bury, cleave in one month, 40 members of his church. And when the 40th funeral had taken place, and he went home, he put his, hand, his head in his hands, and he began to cry out to God. He said, God, they're telling me you sent this. Are you going to kill my entire church? And he began to weep before God, and he said, I can't believe that this is you. You've got to show me it's not. And he said, Acts chapter 10, verse 38 bubbled up inside of him. And the way he said it, it was like it was illuminated. For you know Jesus. He knew Jesus, but he needed to be, is this okay? He needed to be refreshed with the words, how he went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed. And he said in that moment, he realized Satan was the defiler. Satan was the cause of the bubonic plague, not God. And he said he got kind of excited because the door to healing opened up to him. All he had to know was what the will of God was. And about that time, two young guys from his church come bursting in, and they told him Mary, a sweet young teenage girl in his church, was about to die. So they got up, and the three of them ran together to Mary's house. And the doctor met Dr. John Dowie at the door and said, Preacher, it's too late. It is the will of God. And John Dowie, fresh from an experience with the word, he said he bellowed, How dare you, sir? This is not the will of God. See, this is, well, faith is not a question. It's a conviction. How dare you? And he said for years, I will never... Give glory to God for the works of the devil. And he ran in and he said, Holy Spirit, teach me to pray. He had never seen a healing, Steve. Lord, teach me to pray. And you can read the prayer for the sake of time. I won't, but over and over again, this is what he said. Thy word is true. Heal Mary. Thy word is true. By your stripes we are healed. Thy word is... Over and over again, thy word is true, thy word is true, thy word is true, thy word is true, thy word is true. And he said about that time, Mary's convulsion ceased. In fact, everything ceased. The mom started to shriek thinking Mary was dead. And Dr. Dowie turned and looked at her and said, Madam, your daughter is not dead. She's only asleep. And then he thought, wow, this is kind of like the Bible. So he said, I bet you she's hungry. And he shook her. Mary, you hungry? Yeah. And he instructed them to make her some cocoa. From that moment on, hear me when I say this. Once we know what the will of God is, we become an unstoppable army. Never again did the bubonic plague take another member of his church. No one in his church died of that plague. And for the rest of his life, he preached healing. Now, Dr. Dowie, had an, he, he was the guy that would strip cancer off your face it was very physical with him but he was a very that was his personality 
And then there's another lady named Lillian Yeomans. Completely different. Lillian Yeomans, it's about the same time, was a medical doctor who got hooked on the drugs she prescribed. And they said that she was taking 50 times the amount of morphine that you would give to an adult male. Her friend said that she was a walking skeleton with a demon inside. And the drug she took to get her off the drugs only increased her addiction to eventually she was broke and addicted to a great many drugs. <clears throat> she had given her life to Christ when she was a teenager but had strayed away from God. So she thought, I've got no other hope. I'll open up the Bible. And when she opened up the Bible, she had a very similar experience to John Dow when she discovered that Jesus of Nazareth went about doing good and healing. And she began to embrace the word to confess it. And she began, hear me when I say this, the, the motto of her life became Deuteronomy 28 and Galatians 3.13, the very verses I've shared with you. She, as far as I know, never laid hands on anyone. She would read them scripture. And that the, the word entering, giving light to the soul, brought healing to the body. Years later, when her and her sister inherited some property, they turned it into a faith house. And this is the last story I'll share with you. The only ones that could come to the house were those who were beyond. I remember this is 1875 up to like 1920. The only ones that could come to the house were the ones that medical science had said there's no hope. As long as you had hope, you couldn't come to the house. But when medical science sent you home to die, you could go to her house. And there was a woman that came with tuberculosis, coughing up blood, going to die at any moment. They took her upstairs and they put her in a room. And Dr. Yeoman, for two hours, read Deuteronomy 28 and Galatians 3.13. Deuteronomy 28 and Galatians 3.13. Deuteronomy 28 and Galatians 3.13. Then she instructed the woman, every waking moment, read these verses. A whole day went by. The woman didn't understand why she was being made to do this. And Dr. Yeoman said, did you read what I told you to read? She said, yes, and I quoted it 10,000 times. Nothing happened. Day two, the same thing. Day three, the same thing. And by the end of day three, the entrance of thy word giveth light. At day three, Dr. Yeomans and her sister heard commotion coming from upstairs, and they wondered what had happened. They thought maybe she fell out of bed. Pretty soon she come running down the stairs, and she was saying, Dr. Yeoman, Dr. Yeoman, did you know I'm the redeemed of the Lord and I don't have tuberculosis no more? Did you know? It reminds me of like when, when I first got, I was such a legalist. And my wife gave me a book from E.W. Kenyon. And she thought I would read it because he looked like a mean old snaggletooth preacher. And she was right. Because I like sermons about hell because all of you are heathens. My first, my first sermon was hell now or hell later, but you will go through hell. People were coming from miles to not hear me. I used to, my wife used to sit on the front pew with her head down. And I would look at her I'd say, love. I thought she was praying for me. And I'd say, love, I, I really like how you pray for me, but every once in a while, wouldn't you look up so I could see your beautiful face? She said, I ain't praying for you. I thought, what are you doing? You always got your head down. She said, you look so angry, I don't want to see you. 
But when she gave me that book, Steve, all night long, I'd, I'd, I was staying in our little thing. I'd run into the bedroom and I'd shake her. I'd say, love, love, did you know God is good? And she'd be like, yeah, I know. Let me sleep. I was like, you don't know. I'm re-. And then I'd go back and I'd read a little bit more and I'd come back and did you know he heals us? And she's like, yeah, I know. I'm the one that bought you the book, you dumb dumb. <laughs> and that's the way this woman was. She come running downstairs and she was like, Dr. Yeoman, did you know? See, when it's new and it's fresh, it's powerful and you want everyone to know. You want to tell the whole world, God is good. Look at what he did to me. He healed my body. He touched my soul. He saved me. His revelation is real. His revelation is true. And his light is just over. And she come running down. I'm the healed of the Lord. No hands laid on her. No one ever prayed for her. Just the word. The knowledge, the understanding that God is good and he wants you well. Would you stand to your feet this morning? Yeah, go ahead and give the Lord.